Shake, shake, Sinora, shake your body line. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body line. Work, 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 Sinora, work it all the time. Hi, this is Aaron, and you're listening to another episode of Manga Recon. I know there was no Ninja Consultant show last week. Not that that's that surprising with our tech, with our track record so far. This week we were going to have an errors and corrections show because we've made a lot of mistakes lately, not in least including how to pronounce Naruto, which is not pronounced Naruto, it's pronounced Naruto, or with emphasis on the na, Naruto. But we'll discuss that more in detail at a later date and play some nice voicemail feedbacks that we've gotten from various people. But I haven't done a manga recon in months, although I've written three columns of reviews, so I hope to get through maybe two of them tonight. Sinora, she's a sensation, the reason for aviation. And fellas, you got to watch it. When she wind up, she bottom, she go like a rocket. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Okay, I believe you. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Heist those skirts a little higher. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Off the chimney. Jump in the line, rock your body in time. Whoa. I'm going to start with Dark Side Blues because I read the manga and I was so impressed. I checked online and it turned out um, an anime movie had been made in about the early, sometime in the early 90s. So I bought it from Deep Discount DVD and I have to say it's pretty disappointing compared to the manga. But I'm going to read you the manga review I wrote now. So this is Dark Side Blues Volume 1. Story by Hideyuki Kikuchi. Art by... Ashine. Publisher is ADV Manga. I gave it a score of A. Who would like this book? Sci-fi fans and cyberpunk fans. And who would hate it? Anyone who can't handle sci-fi. Dark Side Blues is a one-shot, one-volume story first produced, first published in 1993 in Japan. The ending is just open enough for a sequel, but no sequel was ever made. I wish I'd known that when I started reading it. Darkside Blues is a little more expensive than normal, with a cover price of $15, but it clocks in at about 350 pages nearly twice the length of a normal manga. You can also get it cheaper at one of ADV's website sales, and those usually happen around holiday weekends. Probably next one will be Memorial Day. They had one over St. Patrick's Day as well. If you can get on their mailing list, you can get the handy email notifications of ADV's sales, which often have real bargain basement deals. Although, it's kind of like, you can't get a good deal on their shipping, so even if it's marked down to like $8, you're probably still gonna pay $10 or something, and that's still less than anyway. All right, moving on. Getting back to Darkside Blues, I assumed from the cover that it would be a vampire story. The character on the cover looks like a vampire. He's pale, he's well-dressed, he's holding some weird blood-splattered object, but it turns out he's not a vampire at all. I warn you that the first chapter of Darkside Blues ranges from kind of bad to laughably bad. There's a lot of topless nudity in a torture scene before the story settles into a Sandman ripoff where a mad heady-like hobo is singing a protest song when a man who looks like Dream, in a suit, shows up and names himself Darkseid after the town, which is actually Shinjuku. It's not a promising start, but after that, I promise the story turns into turns like gripping and awesome, I swear. Set sometime in the future, Darkseid Blues operates like a cyberpunk science fiction novel. A giant corporation called Persona Century Persona Century, owns most of the world, except for a few er small areas like Shinjuku, which are lawless free zones, home to terrorist punks and gangs, oh, and mutants. Some government and military experimentation have turned many of the members of the general population into X-Men. 
Some mutants are good, some are evil, but that's not really what the story is about. Our protagonist, Darkseid, doesn't really seem to be human or a mutant. He appeared one day by driving a carriage out of a mirror, pulled by a team of four black horses. Later on, he lives in a weirdly magical house in Shinjuku, where he cures the darkness, where he cures the darkness in people's souls. And it's never really explained what that means. You kind of have to interpret it for yourself. But despite being on the cover, Darkseid is not the protagonist. Our protagonists are a female gang leader, a terrorist, a nurse, and a mutant strongman. They're trying to fight the Persona Century Corporation, but hey, isn't everyone? The odds are tremendously against them. Persona has high-tech weaponry and ground forces, plus a tendency to shoot their enemies with orbital lasers. If you, they have a problem with you, they zap your house from space. The plot builds in layers, just like a novel. I mean, like the text-only kind of novel. The characterizations are li- also layered. What I really liked about Dark Side Blues is that nothing is fully explained. It's not in a bad way. You get the impression that the author wrote all the backstory, and maybe you'd get to find out more eventually, but the story is just telling you what you need to know. Nothing's ever over-explained. The art is wonderful. There are futuristic cityscapes by the boatload. The characters dress like they're from the 1980s, but they look vaguely reminiscent of silent film characters from the 1920s. It's something about the way the eyelashes are drawn. It's hard to explain. The background art and the character designs are so wonderful that a simple flip-through of the book will have you buying it, if it's not shrink-wrapped because of all the violence and nudity. Now, the character designs are something that really were different in the film, and it was really disappointing because they look so weirdly 20s and 80s wrapped into one in the manga and in the book. I mean, in the anime, it's just kind of like early 90s. It's a very generic kind of early 90s look to them. But meanwhile, ADV's presentation of the book is good. The sound effects are translated, sometimes next to the Japanese effects and sometimes totally replacing them. There are a few translators' footnotes in the back, which are fairly useful. There's also a thoughtful afterword by the author. And unlike Tokyo Pop or Viz titles, there are only one or two pages of ads in the books in the back, instead of, say, 9 or 10. Darkside Blues has an age rating of 16+, which is pretty fair. Mature 14 or 15-year-olds ought to be able to handle it. The toplessness in the first chapter isn't repeated throughout the book, so it's relatively relatively safe to read on the subway. There is some graphic violence throughout, and I'm a squeamish person, but I was able to handle it, so I wouldn't call it gratuitous. Pick up Darkside Blues the next time ADV has a sale. I've only seen it in comic book stores, um, and not bookstores, so this isn't one you can find at Barnes & Noble. Thank you. He's from around here. あの、名前。What uh, is the name of this place? Shinjuku歌舞伎町。またの名をトーキョダークサイド。歌舞伎町 then that will be my name. Dark Sido. Dark Side? Is there a good place to stay around here? The next book is Loveless, Volume 1, by Yun Koga, for the publisher's Tokyo Pop. Now, I watched the first episode of the anime of Loveless when it came out, because I was like, Cat Boys, I'll give it a try. What a guilty pleasure or something. And it was really boring and awful with the CG effects. Now that I've read manga, the manga of the, well, the first volume of the manga, I have a very different perspective on the story itself. And maybe the first episode of the anime just really didn't do it justice and I didn't give it much of a chance. So I might consider watching more of the anime now. And I might consider reading the second volume of the book as well, just to see where the story is going. It's really not what you think it is. And 
I know Ed and um, Jared have sort of made fun of it where they're like, it's Firelander romance. Oh my God. And you'll find out in the course of this review why Loveless is not a romance. Okay. I gave it about a score of B with a tentative A minus if you're into this sort of thing. Who would like this book? Girls, yaoi fans, catboy lovers, Depeche Mode fans, and who would hate it? Give it a flip through and you'll know if you'd hate it. Can I preface this by saying that I am not a furry? Fans of the Loveless anime series will know the, char- the characters in Koga's book have cat ears until the first time they fall in love, or possibly they lose their virginity, at which time the ears fall off. It's kind of like a messed up furry thing, but that's not all that's messed up about Loveless. Not by a long shot. Ever hear that Depeche Mode song, Master and Servant? That's the song that best describes Loveless. Ritsuka is a sixth grader with ears who has inherited a slave, Sob- Sobe, Sobe? from his older brother who died under mysterious circumstances. Sobe has a scar bearing the name of his master under some bandages that he wraps around his neck. At first, he seems like a nice guy, if not some kind of weirdo, shady child molester. Sobe immediately tells Ritsuka that he loves him. That's all. Maybe he hugs him. But mostly he just turns up, a total stranger to Ritsuka, and tells him he loves him, again and again. Ritsuka has a lot of problems. His older brother was murdered by a mysterious organization known as Septimal Moon. Septiminal? I don't know. Not only that, the murderers burned Semi to death and left his charred body in Ritsuka's seat at school. It was a gruesome story that hit all the papers. So Ritsuka, tra- so Ritsuka has transferred schools at the story's opening. Only his teacher knows his secret at first. Now, Ritsuka solving his brother's murder would be enough of a story without the whole slave thing going on, but it doesn't stop there. Ritsuka has also lost his memory from before a certain age. Worse still, his mother thinks that when he lost his memory, his personality was replaced by a new personality that is not her son. Ritsuka's mother is, a total, is totally batshit crazy, to say the least, and she beats him on a regular basis in hopes that his old personality, the real Ritsuka, will come back someday. Personally, I think she just has issues about her other debtor son. Nevertheless, Ritsuka is going to hypnotherapy in hopes of bringing out his old self. So far, it's not working, but I think his therapist has the hots for him. This is all really fucked up, but it doesn't stop there. Loveless takes place in a world where magical dueling happens in the following system. One person is the sacrifice, and they hang back while the partner casts spells on an enemy pair of whatever duelist. Sacrifice takes all the damage while the spellcaster fights. The spells are simple words. Repel, block, shred. When I watched the first episode of the Loveless anime, I saw the lame CG fight sequences and I was too disgusted to watch anymore. It was an interesting show up to that point. In the manga, it bothered me much less, since there were no half-assed CG effects. But that's not all. Did I mention that Sobe is a total masochist? It's not enough just to be Ritsuka's slave. He also wants Ritsuka to do things like give him orders and pierce his ears for him. Sobe is in college as an art major, and he has a girlfriend who's not happy about this whole slave thing. But she's got a lot of earrings per ear, so she's probably some kind of deviant too, at least by Japanese standards. The art of Loveless is incredible. It's a painful story to read, but the images are often breathtaking. Characters' emotions are communicated heartbreakingly well through their ears, their eyes, and their poses. The anime doesn't really do it justice. I'd like to see more still art, like non-sequential art, by Koga. But if I owned a Loveless art book, wouldn't people think I was a furry? I expected to hate Loveless, or at least enjoy it as a guilty yaoi pleasure. Instead, I was totally floored by the screwed-up plot and the many layers of screwed-upness. Loveless is like some kind of onion where each layer 
is another kind of messed up problem or perversion. It turns out to be much less sexy than it sets out to be. Because in the end, one is really worried for the poor characters, and also wonders how messed up the author would have to be to write this kind of thing. Koga goes beyond writing about real-life problems, and into the level of fantastic problems. She writes about the crazy problems of, epically, of epic psychological proportion that I'm glad I don't have to deal with in my everyday life. I didn't know when I read Loveless that it's by the same author as Earthian, but I also read Earthian in an earlier column that I'll probably record and put out after this show, which is kind of weird. But you can really tell, I mean, her art has really progressed since then. Um, it's really something how different the two books are. I mean, I know they're from different eras and different times in the author's life, uh, but it's really something else. It's like, Earthian is only kind of messed up in a very mild way. Now that everything isn't only kind of messed up compared to Loveless. You know, if you're, if you're looking for something really different, it turns out you should read the Loveless manga. Okay, Aria, Volume 1 by Kozue Amano, publisher, ADV Manga, but score, or the score I gave it, um, is an A-. Who would like this book? Older, more relaxed fans. And who would hate it? Heck, I thought I would hate it, but I loved it. Maybe hardcore DBZ fans who don't like the original Dragon Ball series would hate Aria. So, I heard about Aria on the manga cast a long time ago, and I was like, I'd seen some images from it, and it didn't really look like my thing, and then Ed talked a lot about uh, what the characters are like, and it didn't really get across to me, maybe I wasn't listening very well, that it's actually really good. But here's my review. I'm only giving Arya an A- instead of an A, because it's a slice-of-life story, and I can't really recommend it to just anyone safely. The lackadaisical storytelling might be too slow for some, and indeed, normally, I don't really go for this sort of thing. For example, the anime Piano, A Story of a Young Girl's Heart, bored me to death. Initially, I avoided Arya when I saw some of the art and I heard about the plot. Arya is set in the distant future on a terraformed Mars, which is now covered entirely in water. Almost entirely in water. The town of Neo-Venesia is modeled after the old Venice on Earth, except one assumes that it is not slowly sinking and the weather control machines prevent horrible floods. The other difference between Venice and Neo-Venesia is, is the gondoliers. Instead of hairy Italian men smoking and wearing red and white striped skin-tight shirts, the gondoliers are pretty girls wearing ridiculous anime uniforms, which are not revealing at all, and they call themselves Undines, or Undine. Um, I've heard it's the name of a water sprite, but I didn't know that until after I wrote this review. Uh, it's possible that the word undine sounds more graceful and ladylike to the Japanese ear and less like the words underwear and or under ruse. Or maybe, you know, other people will know about the water sprites and I don't. When I heard, possibly on the manga cast, that all of the characters in Aria were young women, I immediately thought harem anime. I also assumed wrongly that the uniforms were supposed to be somewhat fetishistic. It turns out that I was wrong, so I went into Aria expecting to be annoyed and possibly disgusted. Instead, the art and story won over my heart. Akari wants to be a great Undine someday, but this isn't a sports manga. 
She doesn't meet her rival. She doesn't have a hidden talent that will make her the greatest Undine ever someday. Instead, she's just a simple girl who wants to row gondolas for a living. She loves Neo-Venesia, and she loves her job, even if she's just a trainee in this volume. Each chapter has a different little story about the life of Akari. In one chapter, she helps a grumpy old man tourist find his lost family, and she convinces him that Neo-Venesia is a pretty great place after all. In another chapter, she cleans her boat. In the third chapter, she waits all day for a friend to show up. In the final chapter, she takes part in a big gondolier race, but she doesn't win, and she's not very competitive about it. She just enjoys rowing. There's not much conflict in Arya. No one is saving the world, no one is the chosen one, no one is a horrible dark enemy who deserves to die. Normally, I wouldn't like a story like this at all. The art in Arya takes the cake. Every page is ridiculously beautiful. And it's not just standalone exposition shot style panels that are well drawn. There's a cumulative effect to the art that really draws you in and makes you feel like you're in Neo-Venesia. Or at the very least, you want to visit Neo-Venesia by the end of the book, or heck, maybe the real Venice if it wasn't a crowded tourist trap and it was more like the city in this book. My favorite chapter of Arya was the fox wedding, called a kitsune's wedding in Japanese folklore. According to legend, magical shape-shifting foxes prefer to have their weddings during sun showers, when it's raining and it's sunny out at the same time. For another example of this, rent Akira Kurosawa's movie Dreams, a collection of short films by Kurosawa, and about half of them are good and half of them aren't. So some of them are really preachy environmentalism, and other ones are pretty good, like the Kitsune's wedding part. Any humans, according to legend, any human who sees a fox wedding might get sucked into the magical fox world and remain stuck there. Akari witnesses a fox wedding at a mysterious shrine island on one of her off days. When one fox offers Akari its hand, that's the highest point of tension you'll get in the entire book. That's like the biggest part of the conflict. Of course, it all turns out all right, but the point of the story isn't the conflict. In Arya, the point of the story is the setting. It's place as character. The fox story was so beautiful, it blew me away. Even though there's very little dialogue in that chapter, it brings new life to the words sequential art. The book is so beautiful that after I finished reading the first volume, I felt relaxed. I normally don't read manga in order to feel pleasant and relaxed, so it was a change of pace. However, I can't really recommend Arya without hesitation. There's no conflict, the characterizations aren't too deep, there's no romance, no fighting, and almost no action at all. But it's such a beautiful read, it's hard to believe when you put the book down that it was all in black and white. Now, I've downloaded all of the anime of Arya, but I haven't watched it yet. Um, I watched the first episode, but it's kind of like, because there's no conflict in its slice of life, it's sort of difficult to watch. And it's drawn really beautifully, but as a TV show, I'm not sure it holds up as well as in the manga, because in manga, you can just turn the page. In an anime, you're forced to watch it at their pace, unless I guess you're fast-forwarding. So, I don't, I don't know. I think probably the manga is better, but the anime does look really pretty. And I would like to find more Aria desktops for, for work, because they would be work safe. Um, and I've only found a couple of good ones so far. I went ahead and I bought the next few volumes of Aria, but I've only made it through the second one. Um, it seems to hold up. It seems like there are four volumes, and each volume is about a different season. So in the first volume, everything is taking place during the fall, and very Japanese fall-like things happen. You know, they buy a baked potato and stuff like that. And in the next volume, it's winter. So in that one, they visit Hot Springs. And it's really the most tastefully done Hot Springs chapter or episode of anything I've seen. Because the characters are, all the characters are wearing towels the whole time. And it's just really pretty. I don't know, it reads pretty fast. 
because there isn't so much dialogue and it's about the art. So it's, it's not really for everyone, but it's really stunningly beautiful. All right, Happy Mania, Volume 1, by Moyoko Ano, publisher Tokyopop. My score, a C. Who would like this book? Young women with low to no self-esteem. And who would hate it? Me. Also, boys. <sighs> I had a hard time with this one. I know it's a, it's a much older book as well. Um, it all finished coming out a long time ago. But I was curious about it because I saw it. It was one of the first things I ever saw shrink-wrapped in a Barnes Noble. So I've always wanted to give it a read, even though the plot sounds like something loathsome. Anyway, here we go. I'd like to say that Happy Mania was anything but. Unfortunately, it was certainly manic. At the very least, it was not happy at all. Instead, it was deeply disturbing. Marketed as the sex in the city of manga, Happy Mania came out a while ago. The first volume in 2003, the last volume in 2004, and was shrink-wrapped on Barnes Noble shelves everywhere. I suppose Happy Mania is like Sex in the City, in so much as it's about a single woman having sex in a city, but the age difference and the maturity level between, say, Jessica and Happy Mania's, Happy Mania's protagonist, Shigeta, is a gap about as wide as the Grand Canyon. Shigeta is 23 years old. She has a crap job at a bookstore where she hasn't worked for very long. Shigeta is 23 years old. She has a crap job at a bookstore where she hasn't worked for very long, and she gets fired from relatively soon. She lives with a roommate. Her supposed boyfriend, love of her life, broke up with her exactly one year ago, and she hasn't gotten laid since. And that's about all we know about her character. What are her real hopes, her dreams, her ambitions, her fears? We may never know. They're outside of the scope of this book. Instead, all we know about Shigeta is two things. She wants a man, and she's very insecure about her body. The story proceeds at a manic pace as Shigeta, Shigeta, I really don't know how to say her name, goes out to meet guys in hopes of turning one into her boyfriend. She frets over her looks, goes somewhere, picks up a guy, gets laid, gets dumped, and repeats. There's a very alarming series of one-night stands that warrants the shrink wrap and the 18-plus rating. There is nudity during the sex scenes, but it's not gratuitous and can be easily covered with a bookmark if you happen to be reading Happy Manny on the subway. If you are to believe the Josh in Japan podcast... The Japanese, although they are extremely uptight about public affection, have far fewer trepidations about actually having sex. Love hotels scatter the landscape, since most people live with their parents in tiny houses. As I read Happy Mania, I kept thinking, over and over again, good girls wait until the third date. For me, it was no wonder Shigeto would get left alone in the morning after her one-night stands. She sleeps with men as soon as she meets them. How could anyone have any respect for her? If she acts like a slut, how can she expect to be treated like anything else? There's some kind of cultural gap between America and Japan that I really felt reading Happy Mania. There have been times in my life when I felt as insecure about my appearance as Shigeta, and when I wanted a boyfriend just as much. Something is universal about her terrifyingly picky self-examinations, but I got over that anxiety well before I turned 23. Shigeta is 23. I was much more confident about my appearance, and I learned a lot more about guys and how to act like a girlfriend by the time I was Shigeta's age. Happy Mania could be constructed as a horror manga for this reason. Shigeta is horrifyingly, mind-blowingly shallow. 
She picks up guys based solely on their appearance. She doesn't even have the time to find out if she has anything in common with the guys she sleeps with because she immediately jumps into bed with them and they spend their time together having sex instead of talking. There's probably a time and place for strangers to behave like this, outside of moral, ethical, and religious considerations, but Shigata is getting hurt every time. She seriously expects to find a boyfriend this way. When this plan doesn't work out for her, she starts stealing men from other girls. In the end, Happy Mania is probably a farce, or some kind of morality tale warning young and sexually active women not to behave like Shigata, that is to say, not to behave as parodies of themselves and their gender. However, Happy Mania is presented as a comedy. I was too horrified to laugh. Surely Shigata would learn her lesson, but she's going to be more heartbroken before the series is through. I was also annoyed at the cliché co-worker Takahashi. He likes Shigata for no apparent reason, and as she has no good qualities that we know of, and he attempts to confess his love. But Shigata refuses to date him based on his appearance alone. She even sleeps with his sister's boyfriend to prove some kind of point, probably that men are scum. That's what gets me. I'm starting to read volume two now, and it's like Takahashi is still going after Shigata, even after she forced Takahashi's sister to cheat, Takahashi's sister's boyfriend to cheat on her with him. Ah, it's too confusing. Okay. The art of happy mania is stylized in a weird way. Anno uses sparse line drawings without much tone or background detail. All of the characters' ears are drawn in strange and, in a strange and distracting way. The characters themselves are almost ugly looking, but not quite. It's a peculiar style that I kind of liked since it gives me hope for my own crappy drawing style. But I could see where other people might not like Anno's art at all. It's certainly not pretty. In closing, I'd recommend Happy Mania for girls age 18 to 25 only as a cautionary tale of how not to act on the dating scene. To be fair, Happy Mania could make a complete turnaround in volume 2, but I'm not sure I could suffer through Shigata for 11 volumes. Actually, I did pick up volume two to read through it because (laughs) volume one left me feeling kind of tense. Like I'm worried about this totally ridiculous person and what will happen to her, which I guess that's a sign of a gripping story. So I'm probably not 100%. Also, I start to really kind of feel worse for Shigata in volume two because she's sworn off men and that's obviously not the solution. And Takahashi has to break up with her even though he's not actually dating her. So it's very the drama, you know, Ted drama, like on LiveJournal. It's like, it is like reading someone, like an idiot's, live journal. Shigata should be a live journal person and not a character. Anyway. Volume 1 by Toshihiko Kobayashi, publisher Del Rey. I gave it a buzz score of C+. Who would like this book? 13 to 16 year old virgin boys with almost no access to porn. And who would hate it? Me. I suspect other girls would hate it too. A listener of my podcast wrote in to ask if I would review Pastel. Somewhere on the internet, I read that it was really popular. And since it's a Del Rey book, I tried hard to pick it up when it came out. It's sold out of Midtown Comics right away. 
got bad reviews elsewhere and was largely shrink-wrapped in Barnes & Noble, so it took a while for me to read it. I have to say this is the first Del Rey book that I didn't like. Granted, I'm sure I'm not the intended audience, but really this was a disappointing book. It starts off not being too terribly cliched, but by the second half it turns into like one cliche after another. I've often said that there are three kinds of bad movies. Movies that are all bad, movies that are sublimely, like MST3K, bad, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Those kind of movies go through bad and back to good again. And then there's the worst kind of movie of all, a movie with the potential to be good that fails and is therefore worse than if it were simply bad through and through. These categorizations can certainly apply to manga, and as you can guess, pastel is the last kind of bad, the worst kind of bad, because it starts off being good. Mugi is working over the summer with his friend at a beach house, when he meets the girl of his dreams by accident. He also accidentally peeps in on her changing no small number of times, falls on her naked, and the usual arrow comedy manga cliches. Read Love Hina for more examples. However, the girl, Yu, generally doesn't get too mad at him. She's still angry with him, but I think that she sees Mugi's not actually a pervert, rather a 16-year-old boy with totally healthy sexual urges. Are you listening to me, Ken Akamatsu? In one scene early on, Pastel avoids cliché when Mugi and Yu decide to go swim, decide not to go swim to an, a small abandoned island just offshore. It's a good thing they don't, because that would be very Love Hina. Afterwards, we learn that there's a sad edge to, Pastel's, to Pastel. Yu's parents have died, leaving Yu and her sister orphaned. Mugi's father was a friend of Yu's deceased father, and he has promised to take care of the girls. This means that Mugi is hesitant to ask out Yu, since she's grieving and they'll be living under the same roof. Alright, now it gets a bit weird. And, I mean, now it gets a bit weird. I start being kind of bitter. I would like to break from my review of Pastel to write an open letter to Japan. Dear Japan! What the heck is with wrong with your manga authors, or perhaps, by extension, readers of manga? How could they accept the same cliché over and over again? It seems as if 90% of all manga is about a beautiful girl coming to live in a boy's house under the same ridiculous-slash-magical-slash-unlikely circumstances. Why is it so vital that the protagonists live together under the same roof? Seriously, I need to know this. Is it for the convenience of the artist? Is it, ev- is it every young Japanese man's dream? Why is it that your readers never get tired of this plotline? Because I'm certainly tired of it, and I don't read nearly as much manga as an average Japanese kid. Please write back to me, Japan. I'm burning to know. Thank you. Domo arigato gozaimasu. Sincerely, Aaron. Consultant at gmail.com. At least in Pastel, there's a reasonable explanation for this plotline. The only other two anime manga examples of young people living together that I've been able to accept where Ranma one half, where Ranma's dad decides Ranma's dad also lives at the dojo, somehow making it okay, and Neon Genesis Evangelion, which barely counts because I mean, hey, half of Tokyo Three burned down or something. It's just convenient for Shinji and Asuka to live with Ma- live with Misato, since they all work together, and it's not like Shinji's going to live with Gendo, is it? Speaking of which, there's one scene in Pastel ripped directly from Evangelion anime series. For a fun game, see if you can find it. I guess I also, although not included in the review, um. I, it's easy to accept the, that plot in Marmalade Boy because it's like her parents' weird thing where Mickey's parents divorce each other and they remarry this other couple, but the other couple has a son named Yu, and so all four, all four adults and two kids live under one roof, and it's a little more believable than a lot of other anime and manga where this happens. 
getting back to the point, pastel has wonderful art. Yu's breasts are soft and round and not unrealistically bouncy looking. And that's kind of taken from a line in this really obscure movie called The American Astronaut, where on Jupiter, this is, I'm getting far from the point here. Okay, on Jupiter, in the future, it's like a mining colony, a bunch of mining colony planets, and where only men live there. So for a break from work, this guy goes around and does shows, and the guy is this kid from Earth, and his show is, is showing him off because he's the boy who's seen a woman's breast. At the end of his show, where he does a little song and dance number, and they're like, what was the breast like? And he says, it was soft and round. And that's the end of the show. It's like, thank you and good night. All right. So Pastel has wonderful art. Yu's breasts are so soft and round and not unrealistically bouncy looking. Surely she has the greatest breast of any 16-year-old Japan, in Japan, and they're not too big or anything either. I think that American superhero comics should take a hint from Yu's breast. Whose breasts are sexier? Yu's realistically sized breast or Lady Death's breast? Which character would need lower back surgery if they weren't some kind of vampire? That said, reading Pastel made me almost as uncomfortable as reading Happy Mania. Sure, looks are important in finding a mate, but seriously, kids, find out if you have something in common with the girl or guy you'd like to date. If there's some kind of good-looking jackass, you're going to have a messy breakup later, and it's going to suck. We know very little about Mugi or Yu's personalities. They both seem like nice kids, and maybe I'm being unfair, maybe they have personalities in later volumes. All we know about Mugi so far is that he has a nickname he hates, he knows how to cook because he doesn't have a mom, and he had to break up with his junior high girlfriend when she went to a far-off school. He's heartbroken, and that's his defining personality trait. Sadly, he probably has more relationship experience than Shigata in Happy Mania, and he's 16. All we know about Yu is that she's grieving her father's death. So they're both kind of sad. Perhaps the most uncomfortable scene in Pastel is when Yu is trying to hang a curtain. She's standing on a, the chair she's standing on breaks, and she falls to the ground unconscious. Now, Mugi's first thought should be something like, should I call an ambulance? Or maybe, does she have a concussion? Instead, when she wakes up relatively quickly, his first thought is, that was a close one. I almost got carried away. And then in the next caption, I almost told her I love her. What freaks me out about this scene, besides the total lack of realistic reaction to a life-threatening situation, is the fact that I've seen this kind of scene in other places. What you, the reader, should think, between Moogie's thoughts, is that he was thinking about feeling her up, or molesting her unconscious body in some way, or maybe just kissing her, maybe I'm giving Japan, I'm not giving Japan enough credit here. It's supposed to be funny that Mugi was only thinking about confessing his love to you instead of doing something unpure to her unconscious form. But seriously, the fact that that's a cliche is horrible. When a girl loses consciousness, you should check her for a concussion or get help from an adult, an adult, or maybe give her some ice to put on her head. Are you listening, Japan? Furthermore, be more mature about CPR. When you give someone mouth-to-mouth, it doesn't count as your first kiss. First do kisso. It's not even really a kiss. I'm looking at you, peach girl, and doki-doki school hours. Grow up. Please take first aid more seriously, Japan. In conclusion, I can't imagine anyone enjoying pastel other than 13 to 15-year-old boys with no access to softcore porn. Maybe it gets better in later volumes, but I doubt it. I'd like to see the artist drawing something that isn't horribly cliched. Gentlemen, you have all worked very hard. And among the lucky, you are the chosen ones. 
You have been sprinkled with lucky stardust. Yes, you have. For today, you have been chosen to reside in the court of the Great One. Gentlemen, I give you the boy who actually saw a woman's breast. It was round and soft. I go back to work. I guess that's it for this episode of Manga Recon. Um, I'd like to add that I had a new iTunes store podcast logo made up for Manga Recon, and it was made by Big Big Truck, who is Elizabeth Kirkendall, who has a bunch of great videos on animemusicvideo.org. So she's kind of famous around fandom. And I will link to her page in the show notes. And that's it. To write is the tempo. And when she gets the sensation, she go up in the air, come down in slow motion. Jump in the line, talk to body in time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, talk to body in time. Somebody help me! Jump in the line, talk to body in time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, talk to body in time. Oh. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body line. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora.